0: How you doing today? Man, it's good to see you. It's good to hear you here at the Victorville campus. Wanna welcome you joining us in Apple Valley today. It was a privilege to get to be with you last weekend and get to host and with our Hesperia campus. I'll be there in a couple weeks. I wanna welcome you uh, today as well. Thanks for those of you joining us online this morning as well. And what a good start to a weekend. What a good start to a day to get to gather together and process, God, we want to learn what you have to teach us because we wanna live your way. You might have noticed even in the video just now the notes that you have look a little bit different we're in a series and the series continues but first peter's going to take a bit of a turn this week we'll see that in just a moment we really want to thank pastor tom what a great job he did last weekend and really yeah let's give him thanks for that it was so good and um, just such a good job of taking this next part, this kind of pulling together. First Peter doesn't break super evenly into three parts, but we've kind of identified three kind of turns in the book. And this is the, that was kind of the end of our first kind of general thought, really great encouragement, really great exhortation, some reminders to live new lives, not our old ones. But today we'll kind of move into some new territory. And as we do, if you have a Bible, would you get your Bible up into first Peter chapter two? have your notes ready to go and as we do what we'll see is those four descriptors that pastor tom gave last weekend as we were looking at that really were some new terms that we haven't seen in this book were uh, descriptors and definers that said hey here's who you are you are this chosen people you are a royal priesthood you are a a nation a holy nation and god's special possession so he's saying that about these jesus followers that he's writing to these really powerful encouraging terms like hey this is who you are but what we're going to see in our passage today in the very same chapter chapter two he's going to remind them of what he's been telling them all along that they are foreigners and exiles so he's going to say this is who you are there's no doubt about it and they relate really to the citizenship that you have but in the meantime this is how those live out this is how those play out when we are living in a world that's not our home and so when you go back to peter's premise for this book the fact that he was wanting to remind us of whose we are he was wanting to remind us of where our citizenship is at he's wanting to remind us of who our allegiance is primarily due and those realities of suffering for doing good of advancing Jesus's mission of that of being encouraged to continue to hold on to hope and those are really important in the first century they're equally important in the 21st so i'm excited of just being able to look in this letter that has so many good things for us and i'll tell you that as as true as as those four statements were that we looked at last weekend are also true of our present reality as foreigners and aliens as exiles and as we look at that i just want to remind you that as we look at this passage today we're going to see very clearly from our king directives of how we're to live in a world that we're not of. And I wanna remind you, if your main grid of how you see life is by living, well, that's not fair, or if your grid is based on what keeps you comfortable, or if your grid is simply, I I want my rights, you're gonna be frustrated with this passage today, just shooting it over the bow. But if instead you will say, but God, what's most important is not me being comfortable or my rights it's living according to my king and his directives for my life then you're going to see some great purpose and some great value in what we look at today so i'm excited to dive in with you take a look at your notes have your bibles ready to go number one today as we dive in good living which we will define what that means good living not only proves the error of false accusations but redeems accusers as well Good living not only proves the error of false accusations, but redeems accusers as well. This is gonna be good to dive into. We pick it up at verse 11 of 1 Peter 2. Dear friends, I urge you, and there's these words again, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live, and here's that phrase, such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us so he dives back in after these great encouraging words just literally a paragraph before but let me remind you of what now looks like and in this present reality of being foreigners and exiles be aware and he gives them an imperative verb the second person plural it's a y'all abstain from these sinful desires that wage war against your soul Man, that's powerful language, powerful to kind of process. And we've seen two times before already in this letter, Peter has addressed, hey, there are sinful things, evil things, fleshly things, these desires. Remember earlier in chapter one, don't be conformed any longer to the desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't let those things dominate you. They did before, now they shouldn't. Beginning of chapter two, rid yourself, put a big distance between you and malice and envy, and he lists three others in that list. These are all things that were who you were before you became obedient child. Now he's giving a third descriptor, it's the same concept. These kinds of desires that will do something different though, they will literally wage war against your soul. And that is a powerful, it's a very military kind of language that he's using. And the operative verb is abstain, right? And when we understand that language, that word in our English language, we usually broaden it to be the word abstinence. And it usually just means don't, stay away from. But this word that's translated abstain in our English Bibles comes from a Greek word that actually puts a lot more emphasis on the benefit of not engaging it's it's still saying very clearly no don't but it actually rings out the benefit of what happens what's positive in your life if you will abstain from that action that behavior and so every parent understands this right this is what we've been doing is our whole time with our kids is telling them hey getting up on top of a six-foot fence to try to understand the tenants of gravity you should abstain from that because we know there is a benefit of not falling off and having a broken neck, right? So abstain, not just because I'm telling you not to, abstain because of the benefit you will receive if you don't. So that's the word, that's the emphasis that Peter's using and telling them to caution, abstain from these things because of what the the fallout is if you don't. And in that, he uses this language, they wage war against your soul. Man, that's a whole new level of challenge the very essence of who you are these desires want to come and kill and destroy and take captive that reality and so Peter's saying and this is remember what he reminded them of you are foreigners and exiles you belong to a different place don't let this place's desires have control over you that's powerful because before when you were in and of this world they did but now that you are different, now that you are made new, now that you have a new set of weapons, you should engage those. Paul uses this concept and he says it this way to an, another group of people, those at the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 10, for although we live in the world, Paul's using the same concept, though we, we are here presently, we do not wage war as the world does oh how the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds oh wow so we have a whole new set of tools a whole new different kind of weapon to fight against those desires that before it was fighting fire with fire we couldn't do it But now we have the ability to demolish strongholds. Many of you have been through Rooted with us. And when you hit week five in the 10 week experience, that is a whole week devoted to the strongholds that have been involved in our lives and those we're still struggling with, that we're applying these weapons against. And I will tell you in every group I've ever been in who's done Rooted, there is a change in the group dynamic, a change in the culture after week five because we become very vulnerable and very honest with one another. And this is what Paul is saying, is that you have now the ability to fend those off and not let those strongholds just be in charge. Verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I love this last line. And we take captive, again, military language, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is, this is now the way that we quote fight is not just fighting from the flesh and trying harder. Now we have a whole different set of tools and weapons that are of a spiritual nature that can keep us from being overcome, being from captured by these same things that used to dominate our lives. So this is how we're beginning the letter, what Peter's doing. Remember what we said in the New Testament, we often read that we're to disengage from one thing while we're called similarly to engage in another. This passage is no different. Abstain, disengage from letting these evil desires dominate you but instead engage by living such good lives. And when you think about these two directives, they totally make sense because they're interconnected you cannot quote live such good lives among the pagans when you're being dominated by the flesh because you live just like them instead as i'm allowing spiritual battle to happen in my life and engaging those weapons i'm not becoming dominated any longer by those desires because i'm from a different place and now that allows me to live these kinds of lives these good lives among people who don't follow my God this idea of, we said we needed to define the term good life what does that mean the word good is used for everything in our English language so again it, it it's important to know the specificity in the original language of the New Testament in Greek the word good also has a wide semantic range it can mean a lot of things depending on the context but one thing I love is its first definition what it's usually translated as is beautiful winsome attractive that there should be this sense of beauty about the way that we live and the way that we love where paul says this is going to have an in a positive effect even by those who are accusing you of doing wrong look in your notes here's the concept it's intended that there would be an attraction There's a winsomeness an attraction that unbelievers would have to the kinds of lives and behaviors that jesus's followers demonstrate there would be an attraction of the way that we live that causes people who don't name the name of christ who don't trust in his name to go man i love being around that person i love being around them because of the way that they live they live these quote good these beautiful winsome lives jesus said as much in his first real recorded public sermon from matthew's chapters five six and seven we call it the sermon on the mount he said this let your light shine before others and that sounds really cool and and yet very vague but then he brings it down what does that mean that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven so jesus makes it clear peter makes it clear shining light Being people of attraction demonstrate themselves in behaviors. That we are to live these good lives. That's the outcome. That's the practical application of that truth. And then we talk about the word pagans, by the way, we have to define that because a lot of times the people in my Christian circles will use that in a very derogatory way. Let me just say what the word means. In the first century, most religions related to and called upon a variety of gods, the Greek pantheon of gods, for instance. And so there was God of the hills, God of the river, God of the sun, they just had these multitude of gods they were constantly trying to appease. That's the most basic understanding of the word pagans. And, and therefore there would be a contrast between Jesus followers because they would say, we don't believe there's a host of gods, little G gods. We believe there is one big G God And he came in the presence in the form of man as jesus to redeem us it's in jesus that we place our trust and in him alone so what peter's saying is is that the way that you live and watch this not in isolation not just in a holy huddle but the way you live among the pagans is going to have a profound impact and that's the last phrase of this of this verse that we look like that i think is so cool oh by the way let me before we get there remember we said that the pagans are accusing them of doing wrong and that's important for us to know what were the christians doing that other people would accuse them of doing wrong and why peter says you need to do just the opposite do what's good meaning do good and and then those who accuse you of wrong won't have anything to say well in the first century there are actually three types of things that non-christians would accuse followers of jesus of historians and commentary writers will note three general ones One is this you won't even believe it one is that of being atheists they accuse christians of being atheists and it kind of goes in reason with what we just said pagans worshipped a host of gods little g gods and they couldn't compute someone who would only worship one god and say that that god was over everything else they had no category for that because they had all these myriad of gods that they would worship so they actually said jesus followers are atheists because they only worship one God the next one's really connected to that what would these people who worship this host of gods do is they would create little trinkets and little images of those gods take them back home and have something very tactile to give their worship to so anytime that Christians came into environments and said no there's not a host of gods that also meant and all your little trinkety images those make no sense at all And as people started converting to christianity they believed that they threw their trinkets out they weren't buying anymore and as a result those who made money off religion were getting really mad you're affecting my bottom line shut up you know i don't want to hear it so that was another thing they were being accused of the third one is fascinating too they were being accused of being political conspirators why well what was the chant through all the roman empire was simply this caesar is lord and what do we read so many times especially in paul's letters no jesus is lord it wasn't just describing honor to the roman emperor it was describing god-like worship and he and that was very much the case emperor worship and christians couldn't do that So Christians would say, no, no, it's not Caesar as Lord. Caesar has a role, he has a function, but he's not a God. There's only one, his name is Jesus and he indeed is Lord. So these were the kinds of things that Christians were being accused of by these pagans that they were frustrated, that were frustrating them. But back to that last line, I want you to see this. What was going to happen when they would live such good lives among these people who were accusing them of doing wrong that they would glorify God on the day he visits us? that they would glorify God on the day he visits us. Here's what Peter is after. Here's more importantly, what God is after. He's after the salvation of sinful people. He is after lost people becoming found. Even if they are the ones accusing you of doing wrong, they need Jesus, obviously, and your ability to live that life in front of them is going to be influential. It's going to be winsome. You are sowing the seeds of the gospel based on these good lives you're living in their presence. And, and you saw that even in the verse that we looked at that Jesus said in Matthew six or Matthew five, that they would glorify your father. So God is always about this idea. He lives for mission and wants to see people come to know Christ. Praise God because he wanted that for you too and so many of you have responded to that reality God isn't done adopting sons and daughters and those he wants to adopt are often those who in your life in your oikos seem furthest away from the gospel are even accusing you of doing wrong so God says don't begin to put this idea up that they're the enemy they might be under his control but they're not it they're pawns in the game The reality is is god is still after them so we see some initial thoughts we see this idea of being persecuted by people who would accuse you of doing wrong this is just the beginning of this idea as we move further into the chapter let's continue number two in your notes submitting to governing authorities is one example of doing good Peter has just said this real general term do good among the pagans now he's going to start giving examples what does that actually mean besides just the nature of the word what are examples of quote doing good here's one the first example he gives submitting to governing authorities first peter chapter 2 verse 13 submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right watch this for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the talk of foolish people okay here we go and we want to be careful let's understand what was Peter actually directing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what's he directing followers of jesus to do in the first century and what's he continuing to direct them to do in the 21st so it's important to understand a few things first off this word submit is how he begins again another second person plural imperative verb y'all are called to submit this word submit is found six times in the book of first peter more than any other new testament book except for first corinthians which is three times longer than this book And anytime in scripture you see a theme pop up that many times over a short book, you gotta realize this author is after something. He wants me to understand something I would have missed otherwise. So he keeps repeating himself. And this word, original language of the word submit is to arrange yourself under. To arrange yourself under. So when we say submit, we're saying arrange your life under the leadership of governing authorities. That's, that's the idea of the concept of what's being communicated. Now, Peter uses this huge overarching net. Paul does a very similar thing in his letters when he says, submit yourselves or arrange your lives under every human authority. And then what he's going to do is he's gonna start giving examples of what those are because you can just kind of get lost into, well, what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, let me tell you about three is what he's gonna give us over the next couple chapters. Here's three examples of the way that we submit appropriately to human authorities over us. Today, we look at governing authorities. Next week, we'll look at what it means in a work environment. And finally, we'll look at what it looks like in marriage. So these are these concepts he's going to throw the big net and then say i'm going to show you three examples of the ways that you most likely interact with on a on a consistent basis and i want you to note something note that the reason that you are called that i'm called to get our lives arranged under human authorities isn't simply because it's the easiest way to live It isn't because we're just pushovers and just should submit to anyone who asks us to do anything. No, what does he say twice for it is for the Lord's sake. And it is God's will that I want you to hear very clearly as we dive into this topic, that it is because our King, not in spite of the fact it is because our King of Kings has directed us as his followers to get under the leadership of governing authorities in our lives that we submit he's the director he's the one giving the directive we're there to walk in it and when you think of these realities of of people that have been put over our lives we don't submit because we do or don't agree with someone's political stance we don't submit because they quote deserve our submission to their authority. We don't submit because this idea of, I agree with the laws of the land. No caveats are given about what kind of submission we ought to offer. So we see these big terms and we're trying to understand what does that look like? Now, the specific roles that Peter was giving to the first century believers, he was in a system of of Roman rule. And in that he he, um, connects Sadat to the emperor who is literally the highest on the pecking order, but he doesn't just leave it there. He says, and he's gonna appoint governors. You'll never be in front of the emperor, but you'll most likely have to deal with the ripple effect of his decisions and those who have to play it out locally like Roman governors. So he extends the authority, the submission to authority at the highest level and at the most local level as well. And I want you to remember a little bit of what we're talking about when we talk about the Roman empire in the first century. Take a look at this picture. This is the spread. This is just early in the second century at the Roman height. So this is very similar to what these people that were receiving this letter from Peter would have known the Roman empire to be. And you'll note as you look at that, the green circle is around those city states that Peter very clearly said at the beginning of the letter, here's who I'm writing to. And as you look at the diagram and you look at all these places that are connected to roman rule you'll note every beach that mediterranean water washed up onto was controlled by rome that is absolutely amazing and even more around the the continent into the uke what is our present day uk that is powerful to consider their the stretch of their rule and when you consider that you begin to process think of all the people groups that even today live in those regions that would have then also been so diverse think of all the languages think of all the customs and traditions think of all the religions that were represented in that belt of domination and Rome had a big problem on its hand how do we keep what was it Pax Romana this piece of Rome over a group of people who are so incredibly different And there's no doubt with Rome wanting to extend their influence, they wanted to Romanize the world. There's no doubt that laws that would have come or different decrees that would have come in these first century Christians' lives would have completely gone against their preferences. And even more so, some would have gone against the tenets, the convictions of their faith. We've already said that they expected the people to worship the emperor as a deity, as a God. Christians are like, bro, I can't do that. So then we have this reality what were they to do? And this is the group that Peter is writing to and telling them to submit. I want you to see the byproduct of living these. This is one example of this good life. The byproduct was it was going to silence the foolish talk of ignorant people. People who are, again, claiming Christians are living wrongly, but by how they live, in particular, how they submit to local authority. They were going to silence that talk because why? Actions always speak louder than words. Always. So Peter says, don't worry about getting into the uh the, the, the marketplace and getting on one side of a debate and just trying trying to yell at the other person to demonstrate who you are. Demonstrate whose you are by how you live. That's the point. Now when we process these and we try to put them in some of our own terms and try to understand some of us might be you know what todd i just i just think peter was kind of off on his own wagon you know like he had an idea and a view but i don't think that's really supported in the rest of scripture that other people were thinking the same thing and i would just say if you're thinking that you're wrong paul was writing the same bible under the influence of the holy spirit that peter was and i want you to note not only what he writes, but to whom he writes it, because he writes to a group of new Christians who are living literally in the epicenter of the Roman empire in Rome itself. Romans chapter 13 verse one says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, watch, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Let me, Paul says, let me say it twice so you understand consequently whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what god has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves for rulers hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong do you want to be free from the fear from fear of the one in authority then do what is right and you will and you will be commended here it is again for no one in authority is i'm sorry i've read it wrong literally 3 times this weekend for the one in authority is God's servant for your good but if you do wrong be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason they are God's servants agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment but also as a matter of conscience You guys, that's a whole sermon series in those five verses. I don't have time to break it all down, but I wanna kind of bubble to the top two big ideas. Number one, what Paul wrote to the Roman Christians is exactly in concert with what Peter wrote to these Christians in this other part of the world in modern day Turkey. They were saying the same thing. Paul actually gives a lot more of the why. People like me love to know more of the why. He gives a ton of that, but the exact same consistent language. But the second one is what I really want you to hold on to, what I really want you to embrace, because you are going to need it, especially this election year. In your notes, God is in control of who is in control. God is in control of who is in control. I'm telling you from a biblical standpoint, when you look at Genesis to Revelation, you are going to see again and again, God raising up leaders and God bringing them down. It is what he does. And it is for a purpose. It's not just God keeping things civilly in place. God does it because he's always up to something. This is how he said it in the book of Romans, but about Pharaoh, verse 17 of chapter nine. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up God speaking, I raised you up for this very purpose, which is what? That I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And if you don't know the story about Pharaoh, God displayed his power not through Pharaoh's obedience. Pharaoh was completely godless related to Yahweh. Who is this God that I should obey him? So it was actually in his disobedience that God displayed his power because 10 times Moses came and said, let my people go. 10 times the people of Egypt experienced horrible plagues because he would not let go. And finally on the 10th plague, he says, get out of here. And 2 million Hebrew slaves walked out of Egypt. Why? Because God had a purpose, not just in freeing his people, But he had a purpose in showing a ruler who was not under his authority, you forget who put you here. God is in control of who is in control. I will tell you there is probably no greater truth you can hold on to in 2024. If you've been reading your bible just in a chronological bible read or you did this shred with us in january by the way you know exactly what i'm talking about again and again in the old testament this king was raised up to demonstrate justice against this nation this leader was raised up and he actually brought blessing to this people god is always the one behind it that's what it means to have a view of the sovereignty of god and we apply that to other areas of our lives but this one gets tricky This is the one we struggle with more and just think, God, maybe you're not on the throne. Maybe you're not in control because look who's in charge. The Bible would say different. Paul wrote to his protege, a pastor named Timothy, who was leading the Ephesian church. And he actually went one step beyond submitting or honoring. And he called upon him to pray for those in leadership. First Timothy chapter two, verse one. I urge therefore, or then, first of all, that petitions prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And he begins, who the all is? For kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Watch, this is good and pleases God our savior. And here's what God is after, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, why do we not only live these peaceful and quiet lives? Why do we not only submit to those in authority out of obedience to our King, but God is always after something bigger, bigger than my comfort, bigger than my rights, bigger than if I feel like this is fair, God is always after something bigger. And in this passage, he's after the biggest thing that you and I could experience people coming to know him. God does not want anyone to fail to be saved. So this is what God is after. And if we'll begin to see our lives, this is what I love about High Desert Church. We talk all the time about the redemptive opportunity we have in people's lives that we do life with. And they're in our oikos, in our relational world. And we talk all the time about the incredible opportunity and privilege it is to be involved. What if you began to think differently that not just the people you like in your oikos, but even those you come in contact with that are over you. Not just on an occasional basis, but the boss you work for. The person who has this kind of leadership in your development where you live, whatever it may be. God is in control of who is in control. And they're in that chair because he put them there. How can I honor them? How can I arrange my life under them? How can I pray for them? Because God's after something bigger than my comfort. God is after their salvation this is the way we put it in your notes there's a missional dynamic that occurs when we respond in submission to governing authorities when they encounter our obedience as they live out their charge to lead well there's something that leaves a sweet taste in the mouth there's something that leaves an impression an influence man that Christian is someone though that when I ask them to do this they do it There's something about that behavior that lifestyle that is winsome to me i wonder what that's about that's what this dynamic is now i'm going to tell you this we just moved into some heavy stuff for so many of us i get that and i also get that this topic raises a bajillion questions okay todd you're saying that so who's ever in a governing role over my life is there because god put him there I'm really struggling because I can't stand them. So Todd, you're saying that I recognize I've done things that literally defy our government and you're saying that maybe I've been in the wrong over that, that I should repent. Todd, what happens when the government or those even in other authority roles over my life call upon me to live against my Christian convictions? Is there no place for civil di- disobedience? And I'm just gonna say these are all really good questions that have great merit. Many of you have known we do something most weekly called tangible takeaways, where later in the week we'll kind of debrief and digest a little bit what's said on the weekend. We're using that very strategically this weekend and as we sit down we're going to talk about those three questions for sure and we'll try to address any others that you send us it's in your notes it's on the screen just text the word question to six four five six seven let us know any question you have on this issue in particular but it could be anything else but we're going to devote that time to what does it look like for the Christian to submit to governing authorities. And we'll look at more. By the way, let me play one card you haven't heard me say yet. The author of the book, the human author of the book, you and I are studying right now is the same one that when before Jewish authorities was told, don't talk about this Jesus anymore, he said, not just someone, Peter said, you judge what's right if we should obey you or God. And obviously he chose the God card. So, there's more to this story than we have time to elaborate on today, but watch this week on tangible takeaways or send us a question so that we can uh, track the things you're wondering about. All right, we gotta move on. Number three, discern and demonstrate the God directed responses we're to have towards others. Discern, understand, know what they are, and then show them, demonstrate the God directed responses we're to have toward others. Our last two verses in our passage today, verse 16, live as free people but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil live as God's slaves show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear God honor the Emperor so here's what Peter's saying at the beginning live as free people but don't twist don't manipulate your freedom to just say that's why I want to do what I want to do because I'm free and they've been freed from a lot these are all new Christians they've been freed from the Dominion of, of being under Satan's rule they've been freed from the bondage of sin they've been freed from the end game of death those are those are amazing things and Peter acknowledges you should recognize your freedom you should walk in it but don't use that freedom to say well hey I report to the big guy now literally the king of Kings And I don't have to respect, I don't have to obey you schmucks who are just human like me. I'm going all the way to the top. And I'm gonna tell you, I've talked to so many new Christians and that's one of the things they struggle with. Now that I report to this king, I don't have to respect these other ones. If you've paid attention today, it's that king who's directing you to obey them. So that can't be true. Don't use your freedom as a cover up for evil don't try to play the game and move things around you have a freedom but it's not simply that you would just be able to live out of your own accountability your new freedom isn't so much a freedom from it's a freedom to here's what it says in your notes because you do report to the king of kings you're called to submit to human authority as as a directive directly from him it's not because I'm a Christian I'm free that I don't submit it's just the opposite because i'm a christian and my king has told me to i'm going to submit all the more that's what my freedom is and that is picked up in that short phrase that was in the text live as god's slaves because i do report to him he is the one i respond to over everything else that phrase though kind of jars us a little bit what's that about well next week we're going to put a park on that for now and next week that's what we're going to dive into But let's finish the passage with these four, these are four again, imperative, second person, y'all statements, four things that Peter says, let me sum up what I've said thus far. He first says, show proper respect to everyone. If you break that down, it simply, simply means this. Every human being, not if, but because, every human being is made in the image of God, Every person you interact with has worth. And every person you interact with deserves a degree of respect. Can we say it this way? It is never honoring to God when you disrespect someone else. You're never gonna honor God because you disrespected someone else. It's never pleasing to Him. Secondly, love the family of believers. It's that same word agape we looked at a couple of weeks ago that to have this selfless, sacrificial love that's how i'm supposed to give myself away to my brothers and sisters those in the family of god third fear god we also talked about that in this section as well in in this book study fearing god is a powerful concept because it it includes drawing close like man this god is awesome i want to know him more but also being aware of his holiness pulling back And it's living in the tension of both. That's what a good fear of the Lord is. I recognize I'm drawn to this God, but I recognize I don't belong near this God outside of what Jesus has done for me. So this reverential awe. And then finally, honor the emperor. That word honor means to to place value upon. Ascribe value to this one who is in this high role of leadership. Now I've got all four up on the screen. I just want you to, they're in your notes as well. I just want you to process something. I want you to think about those four qualities and I wanna ask yourself a reflective question. How well did you do in those four years ago? I gotta tell you, this is the most powerful part of my study getting ready for today. God, I failed at all of those numerous times in 2020. And I don't bring that up to shame you. I don't bring that up to shame me, but here's why I do bring it up. I think the mark of a maturing Christian is we don't keep making the same mistakes. We don't keep failing in the same things. We don't keep sinning in the same actions, but we say, God, I'm gonna grow and I'm gonna challenge you, I'm gonna challenge me. If you will keep these four, we mentioned this other statement, God's in control of who's in control. And you'll keep these four as markers. God, how am I doing showing respect to people, no matter how much they disagree with me? How am I doing at loving my brothers and sisters? How am I doing at having a righteous fear of who you are? How am I doing at honoring those in charge? That will do you well this election year let's do this as we close all of our campuses and online those four are up there still let's read those out loud together something about reading them connects them to memory more than other things read it with me one two three show proper respect to everyone love the family of believers fear god honor the emperor let's pray father god we come before you today and we appreciate all of this, uh, just even these last four commands. God, we appreciate how much we failed in those, so many of us, in this uh, year of crisis that we experienced four years ago. And God, I thank you that you are a God of redemption. I thank you that you are a God who is looking not only to forgive, but to see us grow, and we often grow most through the things we fail at gloriously. God, I know for me, i felt gloriously in these things before. I don't wanna feel like that again. And so God, would you help us be a people who come to your word in passages like today in a place of submission, rather than a place of defiance, rather than a place of defensiveness. We wanna follow Jesus. We're gonna see this next week. This is exactly how Jesus lived. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Todd, I can't honestly say that I wanna follow Jesus because I haven't taken that first step. I I might know a lot of things about him. I might attend church, but as far as really being in the family of God and having Jesus be who I trust for my salvation, I've never made that step. But the good news is you can today. Would you A admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? Would you admit the fact that there's a problem in the relationship you have with your creator And it's on you, not on him. Would you be believed though that that God didn't wait for you to get it right, because he knew you couldn't, but he sent his son to be the bridge to make that relationship redeemable, to make you right with God through Jesus's sinless life, through Jesus's sacrificial death, through Jesus's uh, supernatural resurrection on the third day. He is the only savior available, and would you see, choose choose to say, Jesus, I bring my life. I surrender it at your feet. And I simply wanna live the rest of my life following your example. I wanna live it all the way to home. You can make that decision today. And I just pray you would not hesitate another moment, but recognize Jesus, I need you. And I wanna follow in your steps. Father, we love you. Thank you for being so kind. Thank you for being so patient towards us. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.